Welcome to the Everything Podcast, the place for everything education. Whether you're a first-year teacher or a seasoned educator, our mission is to help you employ smart strategies in and out of the classroom. We firmly believe that teacher burnout isn't inevitable. Part inspiration and part implementation, we discuss the why and how to make your classroom effective and sustainable. We're your hosts, Danielle and Nicole. Welcome back to another episode of the Everything Podcast. I'm your co-host, Nicole, and Danielle and I have been getting a lot of feedback recently about how teachers are looking for actionable ways to mix up what they're doing in their classrooms. And because we are so reliant on technology, we thought it would be appropriate for us to share an episode that we published back in August all about virtual summits. If you're new to us, you may not know that Danielle and I are huge virtual summit fans. We actually had our first virtual summit back in August of 2019. We plan to have our next virtual summit in July 2020. We're so excited about it. But the thing is, it's not just for teachers. It's actually really appropriate for classrooms as well. And today's episode is all about how to host a virtual summit inside your classroom. And we felt, you know what? We could make this work in our virtual classrooms as well. So you'll find in this episode, we're talking all about how to make hosting possible and really give you a breakdown as to how to really make this happen. So we should mention that you'll find, if you scroll all the way back, episode 46, episode 47, they kind of go hand in hand. We have the why a virtual classroom meetup is worthwhile, a virtual summit, in other words. And today's episode is all about the how. So if you're considering a great way to kind of turn the typical student presentation on its head and do something called a virtual summit, which in turn is pretty much like a student presentation in just a really cool mixed up format, this is the episode for you. We talk all about how to actually make this happen, what tools you will need, and how this will really engage your students in a way that they haven't been engaged before. And we all know that this can get a little monotonous, right? All of the online technology tools you're probably using day in and day out. And Danielle and I know that we're always looking for more ways to be creative. So again, that is why we decided to mix it up today and speak on a topic that we're both really passionate about, virtual summits, and give you a taste of what it might mean for you to use this in your classroom setting. We hope that you're all staying well out there and We love all the feedback that we've been getting on social media, so definitely keep reaching out and let us know what it is that you are looking to learn more about. We love learning right alongside you. You're listening to the Everything Podcast, podcast episode 47. Danielle, can you believe one week from today we will be done with the Total Teacher Summit behind us completely? I can't believe that at this point it is so close that the countdown is barely in days. Like yeah. we, we, we could basically go to counting down the hours and minutes. <laughs> it is insane. It is insane. I'm really excited. I feel like it's the culmination of everything we've been working towards, like for the past year of our business. And mm-hmm. it's just a, it's a big test for us and it's a lot. And I just, <laughs> I'm excited. I'm anxious. I'm, I'm doing a countdown myself. And I think as much as we're feeling that, I think that our speakers are probably, um, because this is something that, you know, they've been working hard on. They've been both excited and a little bit nervous about for weeks as well. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that this weekend, there's a lot to look forward to. There's a lot of eagerness. There's a lot of excitement. There's also, you know, a little bit of nerves 
involved. It it kind of reminds me a little bit of the first day of school. Yeah. <laughs> agreed. Agreed. <laughs> I will say what's been really cool about this entire experience of planning a summit, of inviting people mm-hmm. to join a summit, of talking about the summit in our podcast episodes or online is that there are so many people who are reaching out just asking for more information. What does this mean? I'd never seen mm-hmm. this before. I've never experienced it before. And yeah. last week we got into pretty serious detail about why this works in the classroom setting. Right. And I heard from a number of people online just I, I want to do this. I've never heard of this and I want to try it. And it just makes me feel so encouraged. And yeah. being new at this myself, I have fallen in love with the idea of putting on a virtual summit in my high school classroom. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of other teachers are curious about how they can make this work in their own. And we are putting out yet another virtual summit how-to yes. <laughs> episode today. And we're excited to break down how to host a virtual summit in the classroom in nine easy steps. Yeah. Today is a practical guide. It is your tutorial for how to actually implement these things. Because Truly, we've been talking about virtual summit so much, we could have made a virtual summit playlist. We kind of inadvertently did (laughs) to finish off the summer. And I think that if you are as fired up about virtual summits as we are, this is the that one last missing piece, right? So Mm -hmm. now that I want to do it, how do I do it? (laughs) Yeah. So quick reminder, if you have not yet listened to episode 46, it is well worth a listen just to give you that real background information. Mm -hmm. Like I said, we've had a lot of people reaching out, questioning, wanting more information, so on and so forth. So make sure that you set yourself up for success, listen to that episode, and then jump into this one where we'll, we'll really break it down with these nine steps. Absolutely. So getting right into it. Step number one, pick a unit that makes sense to host as a virtual summit. I know that this might seem obvious, but I feel like sometimes as teachers, we see or hear about that new thing and we're really excited and we just want to try it. And because we want to try it, we kind of force it to happen. Mm, Yeah. Maybe not at the ideal time. Yeah, that's fair. And I think that a lot of what we've been discussing as far as putting on a virtual summit in the classroom isn't to explore an entirely new topic, an entirely new project and something Mm -hmm. entirely new. It's really to give a twist on something that you've already done yes. and you're or you're a little bit tired of or maybe you feel like has gone stale. And we're going to jump into maybe some other reasons why it works really well in a second. But just to clarify, it's something that you you likely have already had experience with or you're familiar enough with that you know you want to take to the next level. And that's what we're, we're chatting about today. Yeah, I probably wouldn't attempt to implement the virtual summit in my classroom with something I've never done before at all. So if I'm teaching a text for the very first time, or if um, maybe I'm teaching, in fact, this very year, I'm teaching both ninth graders and 11th graders. I've taught my ninth grade um, class before. I've never taught Britlet and juniors. I'm not going to try it with my 11th grade Britlet class until I've tried it with my ninth graders. And that might sound a little bit counterintuitive to people thinking, well, the 11th graders are more mature, therefore they might pick up on it faster. Yeah, but I'm going to be able to troubleshoot problems way, way faster because I'm so well-versed in the material. Absolutely. I completely agree with that. It's a matter of being comfortable and it's a spin on something that you, you know very well. So getting comfortable with the existing research within that unit is a huge, huge part of it. Yeah. So if you're thinking to yourself like, okay, that all makes sense. I know what class I'm going to do this with, but I still don't know what 
part of the year, which particular unit, I would start with asking myself a few questions. First, I would ask myself, is there always a unit that you do that has an oral presentation component? <laughs> yes. We've talked about how this relates back to our state standards. And for me, for us both as language teachers, that's a huge, huge component of what we are required to do every marking period for every major yep. assessment. Um, and we know that we would like to accomplish this. And in in bringing in a virtual summit, you're able to accomplish those major skills and Mm -hmm. excuse me you're able to assess those major skills but in just an updated way right just like we talked about in last episode um nicole i know you've talked a few times about the kind of unique way you do oral presentations with your spanish one class could you remind viewers or maybe tell them for the first time if they're just listening in what you do and do you think that that could work as a virtual summit are you referring to my cultural investigations i am okay (laughs) Just wanted to clarify. I feel like I'm doing a bunch of little things, but I just wanted to make sure I was on the right right page there. Yeah. So um, I use a resource that allows students to have a lot of autonomy. They get to choose from 101 different topics, ranging from a lot of different categories, mm-hmm. themes. In the language classroom, I feel like culture is something that I, and we're about to touch on this, that I just barely scrape the surface of culture yep. anytime I introduce a new topic, country, whatever. And so in giving students the opportunity to choose something that relates most closely to what they're interested in or would like to learn about, it does give them that that sense of ownership and independence that I really enjoy. I could totally see virtual summits working for this. It's such a it's something that I'm personally really comfortable with. I know these topics, mm-hmm. the one hundred and one really easy. They're like, oh, I'm doing 37. I'm like, oh, all right, you want to a tapas restaurant, <laughs> tapas, right? Like all of that. And, you know, I know exactly what they're, what they're speaking on, which is easy for me as a teacher to just be really familiar with that. Yep. And then I'm able to give them that, those tools to deep dive as, as much as they're able to. And uh, I do think a virtual summit would be a great way to maybe take the students who aren't super comfortable speaking in front of the class, like mm-hmm. I, I make them do, <laughs> right, and right. Uh, maybe just give them uh, the chance to, to do something a little bit different, maybe sitting behind their computer camera. And thanks for sharing what you already do in your class, because I think it gives a really concrete example of how you're taking something that it doesn't really need updating. It's something that works. It's something that you feel comfortable with, that your students have felt comfortable with, but you could put a new spin on it to kind of keep it fresh for yourself as well. And the way that you've described it, it actually hits on the next, I think, three different questions I would ask myself if I'm thinking about my curriculum over the year. I know I want to fit in a virtual summit, but I don't know where. The second question I would ask myself was, what does my existing research unit look like? Yeah. Part of the research that they're doing about that cultural investigation, this dovetails exactly into it. Um, For me in my English classroom, my big, big research unit, and I've mentioned this before, is a really long research paper. And I love the idea of still keeping that unit and adding this at the end. So even if students still feel like maybe the essay itself is kind of a drag and maybe they still feel like the essay is, you know, written for the teacher, even though I'd really like them to think that it's not, this is one way to like repurpose all of that research that they've done. I think it, I think it's great. And it's just a a healthy way to approach something that you're comfortable doing. I think from a teaching perspective and from the students as well, it just keeps it fresh. I love, love, love it. And you had 
also kind of touched on with your example of the cultural investigations, that culture is just something that is so large in scope, you can't cover it as you would want to in a kind of traditional way. And that's the third thing I would look for when I'm trying to pair a unit with something that works for a virtual summit. Yeah. And we do want to reference episode 18, where we talked about how to Mm -hmm. teach topics that we just can't stand and how to do this (laughs) well. (laughs) And this is, I think, another opportunity where, hey, this is not comfortable for me. I don't love it. I'm highly familiar with the background of what's needed. I know what I have to do, but I, I just don't enjoy the way that maybe my curriculum sets it up. Maybe the, maybe the textbook uh, presents it and why not approach this in a new way? Or it's just so, so broad. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know, if you have to cover something like all of world war two in a week, that how, In fact, your example works with question four that I would ask myself if I'm trying to pair my unit with a virtual summit, which is, is there a project that you typically do where students get to pick their topics? So the fourth question I would ask myself when attempting to pick a unit that pairs well with a virtual summit is, is there a project that students typically get to pick their topics for, kind of like the cultural investigation? So could I use that? in order to introduce this concept of a virtual summit. Right, because typically in attending a virtual summit, you'd find that there are a number of different talks for you to attend and a variety of speakers. And there's a whole lot to choose from, which is the beauty of of giving students these tools. So I think rather than having everyone needs to present on Shakespeare, you give students the chance Mm -hmm. to really investigate different aspects of Shakespeare's life, his work, his whatever you'd like to do. And I think this is a beautiful way to set up students for all of that. Well, speaking of choice, this reminds me of episode 27. Yes, Kristen Yan, choice boards. (laughs) And we're about to hear from Kristen again, actually, during the summit. So definitely check out her choice boards talk. And she even expands further on that, where she goes into menus, everything else. It is really good. So you don't want to miss it. And when I'm thinking about picking a unit to do with a virtual summit, the other thing that I would consider is, is there a chance to do a full class virtual summit? And then maybe after they've done and experienced this once, could this be something I incorporate regularly into student choice for any sort of project for the end of a unit. So maybe students can have like a mini summit option Mm -hmm. as one of their uh, kind of options for their end of unit uh, project. Yeah. And something else to consider is maybe if, you know, I think if you think a group of students would work really well doing this, maybe a type of time of year Mm -hmm. would work really well. And if, you know, we've talked about this in the previous episodes as well, maybe you do have a little buffer time, or maybe you'd like to introduce something in a new way. This is also a great way Mm -hmm. to um, maybe work well for a specific time of year after testing, for example. Yeah. After testing, maybe even like leading up to a break, or maybe after you do have something like the research project unit. So this might be a way to kind of get everybody um, a little bit more energized after they go through something like that. All right. So all of that was just in step number one. I don't know how you're feeling, Danielle. Yeah. (laughs) Well, step one was just making sure we pick something that works well. Right. And I think that that really is the foundation of this. Yeah. If you don't um, like really kind of 
dig into why this is going to pair well with your students, the time of year, a unit, something like that, I think that this has the potential to, to fall a little flat. So don't skip this step. I know we spent a long time with it, but I think it's because it is that important. It really is getting so, so comfortable with what's needed. I think that's probably the biggest thing that we've, biggest question we've been answering so far in the past few months is like, what is it? What do I need to know? What do I, what is required of me? And this Mm -hmm. is a great chance to really deep dive there. So moving on to step number two. Yes. Select what students will be responsible for in terms of creating the virtual summit. Mm -hmm. So think outside just the presentation itself. So Danielle and I can speak on this because we're doing a lot of the behind the scenes and we're doing a lot of the, uh, you know, back end or networking work that allows for this to actually happen, which you can give the students the tools to do exactly these tasks, which is really, really cool. I mean, talk about real world skills. Yeah. um, In episode 46, the previous episode, we said one of the huge advantages of a virtual summit is the amount of ownership that students can have, that feeling of autonomy over this project. And I think that, again, this sounds great in theory. And we've put together a small list of ways that you can delegate some of that to students. If you're like, great, student ownership, but where? Because I think that the obvious choice is in what they're talking about for their presentation. But why stop there? Yeah. First up, name of the summit. Mm -hmm. So you have a general topic, concept, theme, whatever it is that you're working with, something that you're, again, comfortable with or just scratching the surface of or all of the many things that we just mentioned before. Right. But letting students choose a name for this summit gives them more ownership and creativity. And I think it sends the signal of that right from the very beginning. Yeah. So one of the ways that you could actually kind of make this happen in your class is to, I I know I use Socrative in my classroom all the time. I absolutely love it. So if you want to give yourself the opportunity to let students pick the name of the summit, maybe you have that written as the kind of like do now warm up for the day after having introduced it. Good Um, idea. All of the students have to come up with what they want the name of the summit to be. And then they have to create a short pitch for why that works. And then because Socrative allows you to hide student names, if you want, you could have all of the list and pitches on the board at the same time. Students can vote right then and there. I think that would be a really awesome way to do it. You could also do it in groups if you want to make sure that students are practicing that soft skill. If you are thinking about this and thinking, oh my God, letting my students project whatever they want on Socrative onto my board (laughs) sounds like a terrible idea. You can also remind students that while you might be keeping the names of the classmates who submitted suggestions secret, you have access to that. So you might need to give students that little reminder depending on who your students are, but I still think that that would be a great way to give them, um, kind of give them the reins of the summit by making it their own from the very start. I love that. And pretty similar to that, we're talking categories. Mm -hmm. So in perhaps with students working in small groups or even trying to identify where they might fit best in giving them the reins as far as what categories maybe are outlined or where they think they may align in their Mm -hmm. topic. Uh, There's a lot of ways that you can really give kids the reins, as you said, give them independence. And it just helps that buy-in happen so much faster. Yes, without a doubt. And the categories don't have to be something that happens 
before students pick topics. Mm-hmm. You could have all of the names of the proposed um, presentations on the board, and you can ask the students, what kind of categories do you see these fitting in? Why should you classify it in this way? Why does that make more sense than putting it into some other order? Yeah. Next up, one of my favorites is sponsorship for yes. the summit. How <laughs> cool is this? I mean, seriously, real life skills. Mm-hmm. So get interdisciplinary. Yes. In the discipline beyond the subject area of the particular talks, we reference the cultural mm-hmm. investigation activities yeah. that I do in my high school Spanish classroom. I love, love, love introducing so many different subject areas. I use a lot of math, actually, mm-hmm. social studies. There's a lot of ways that you can use what students are likely currently working through in their right. other classrooms or skills that they're very familiar with and make this just so much more applicable. And we're going to get into it a little bit later as to who you can include as other attendees of the summit and who you can mm-hmm. include in this process. And of course, of course, parents and administrators come to mind, but why not other peers at the school that maybe have some relationship to that sure. other subject area? I mean, there's so many ways to go about this. Yeah, I, I know I took a business elective when I was in high school and I remember having to make presentations. I can be perfectly honest with you and tell you, I don't at all remember the topic of my presentation or what it was about, but let's say that you are doing this for some sort of business class or a math class, maybe for a business class, every presenter is presenting on a particular type of business who has done something in a, in a quote unquote revolutionary way or something of that nature. Um, why stop there with the presentations? Have students go behind the scenes to think about the revenue, the affiliates and the percentages that they uh, would have to kind of use in order to make a persuasive offer. If you are thinking about the English classroom writing persuasive pitches, maybe you even have students pitch other students as a pretend brand. Mm. Would they, in fact, accept this person's offer? Why or why not? (laughs) I think that all of these, these are just some kind of interesting twists that you could put on it. Um, And maybe, maybe that sponsorship gets accepted. Maybe you need to have students create an ad. Is the ad going to be serious? What works for that brand? Would the ad be something satirical? Uh, Again, you're able to pull in so many different things that if you were just doing an oral presentation, this isn't happening. (laughs) Yeah. And even further engaging students, the actual look of the summit. Mm -hmm. So logos, branding, things that I personally just love, love, love doing. And I think some of my students, I can just pinpoint a couple of kids who I knew would really just enjoy this so much. But having students create visual representations Mm -hmm. of what the summit will look like. And we referenced in our last episode using a bulletin board to do this. And sure, that's one way to do it. Absolutely. But the actual digital view book or the way that this is shown up online, that's another skill that perhaps a high school Spanish classroom wouldn't normally infuse. But Mm -hmm. why not give students the opportunity to do that? And every time I try to incorporate some sort of um, artistic outlet in my English classroom, I always pair it with something that has to be written. I need a defense of why you've chosen to do things in this particular way. So if we're thinking about giving students the ownership of the logo, of the branding, great. This is going to make students feel like they're in control, which is what we want. 
but I also want them to practice the critical thinking skills of why certain color choices would make more sense for a summit that is geared towards this audience than this other audience because again it's relating back to my discipline and students might not even realize that they're doing it so to recap real quick because we are giving you some pretty extensive lists because we do want to make sure that you feel guided throughout this entire process step one pick a unit that makes sense to pair with your virtual summit. Step two, decide what you want to give your students ownership of um, and know that going into the project. Uh, we listed a whole bunch of things. I would not recommend doing all of this at once or the mm. very first time. <laughs> this is just so that way we think that you'll be able to implement no matter what grade level you teach, no matter what subject you teach, there are ways to make this work. Mm-hmm. And in giving students different jobs, in mm-hmm. utilizing what it is that they're doing across different curricula or in their different classrooms, you as the teacher need to be responsible for how, first of all, you'll be delegating these tasks and how yep. exactly you'll be grading them. Yes. So that's our, that's our third step here is crafting a corresponding rubric or rubrics to use for each of the requirements students must meet. Yeah. So this is going to be a throwback all the way to episode three. So we we were not as well versed in podcasting back then. But I do think that a lot of what we spoke about then is still really relevant here. But now we're just planning a very specific project. So in episode three, all about planning projects that work, um, we talked about making sure that you have those rubrics ready to go before you even start talking to the students about the project. Yeah, it's exciting and so creative that you can come up with different ideas and tasks, maybe even different names of roles for students. Yep. And we love all of that and 100% are on board with it. But before you can really even, I think, fully grasp what's needed in your classroom and mm-hmm. how to effectively explain this to maybe some outsiders who are, are wondering what's going on, it's right. so important to understand how exactly you'll be assessing your students. And in giving ourselves all the tools to make this happen, you want to make sure you're using those common core standards or whatever standards you're using in your district and giving that really the, that's sort of the baseline for how to make this work. We've spoken about how oral presentations are part of our own curricula. And I Mm -hmm. think that we're, we're taking that and running with it in many different ways. So getting hyper-specific about that. And even what's included for the rubric or maybe even having separate rubrics for because there really are a lot of different things to consider. This is not just is a student in front of the class, you know, making eye contact. How many ums are they saying? Right. (laughs) Whatever. Maybe rubric you're able to Google online or otherwise. It's probably not going to fit this bill. Yeah. I see myself um, using different uh, weights for these as well. Like, I think if I were to implement this um, the way I have it kind of in my mind for after the research project ends, I would want to have the presentation portion itself maybe worth a test grade, but maybe I want that networking engagement portion that we mentioned as one of the advantages in our last episode. Maybe I want that to be a quiz grade or a homework grade or something else. So deciding on what goes in a rubric, how many rubrics you should have, things like that. That's something I would decide before introducing this project. Mm -hmm. 
yeah, I can hear my high schoolers now. Wait, but it's two test grades. What's this? You know, you want to make sure you really outline that. Everything's spelled out. Spelled out. And the fact that there are so many extras for students to Mm -hmm. do these extra tasks, these delegated um, roles that students may, may pick up, making sure that those also receive the credit that they deserve. Right. And this is a great time to talk to your students about quality and quantity instead of just making sure that they have the two questions to ask a presenter, things like that. And if you have that rubric that um, is already there for students, they'll be able to see like, oh, that's how this looks once, once I get my grade. Yeah, yeah. I'm a big fan of actually previewing what a presentation would look like and giving students the chance to grade it. Mm-hmm. And this may be a little bit more challenging to pull off if you don't have a, a real example to pull from. But I think that maybe even finding something on YouTube that mimics what a virtual summit looks like, yep. what kind of appropriate behavior is needed in yep. order to make this kind of networking piece work. You Absolutely. know, what, what exactly is a good advertisement? What's a bad one? Re- yes. Really giving students the tools. A lot of the adults that we've been communicating with are not familiar with this. I imagine mm-hmm. a lot of our students are not familiar with this. Right. So I want to make sure it's super, super clear. And we're going to get into that in a little bit too. So more, more detail to come. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> and here comes step four. Yep. Decide on what technology you need to make this happen. Mm-hmm. So this is something that we're, we're working through. And we had a really great solution. And unfortunately, it is no more. Yeah. Re- recap app. Very I'm sad. So <laughs> this was a video recording software that allowed students to post in sort of like a grid format where they could comment mm-hmm. on each other's and give feedback. And, and teachers as well were able to give real time feedback to pre recorded audio or video. And personally, yeah. as a language teacher, I loved it. I know. <laughs> and we're so sad that it's no longer in existence. So I, I don't know what I'm going to do about my my slam poetry unit. I just don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we'll find some workarounds. But we I do guess. have two other options mm-hmm. that can fulfill the same requirement of posting videos and giving students the opportunity to comment and or live chat. And the first is Google Classroom, which I use in my school and I absolutely love using. Um, I actually will create separate classrooms. You know, of course, I have my standard for my own room, but I'll create separate classrooms if, for example, we're going on a field trip. It's a great opportunity to do that where things are separate and it doesn't just flood your classroom Mm -hmm site with a lot of different things. So keeping it separate. And it's a stream of videos where students publish themselves. And then Mm -hmm. in real time, they're able to comment on each other's and you can play around with how maybe you want to schedule videos to go live at certain times. Perhaps Mm -hmm. you want to do this in real time in your classroom setting. However, you'd like to make that work. That is one way to give that live action kind of feeling. (laughs) Yeah. And no matter what technology you use, whether you use Google Classroom, our other recommendation is Flipgrid, or maybe you decide to use something else entirely, um, what I would keep in mind is how can students submit using that particular piece of technology? How will students be able to view using that or some other piece of technology? And how will students be able to give their feedback to their peers using that or some other piece of technology? And if your tool of choice 
only answers some of these questions, that's okay too, right? So if maybe students are able to submit but students aren't able to kind of have that discussion in the way you would want them to? Is it something that maybe your school uses um, like something like Blackboard and there is like a discussion thread? Maybe it doesn't necessarily have the video all kind of uh, like displayed in a summit worthy way, but you're still able to create that workaround. Or maybe the kids that you've got, maybe they can't type as fast as yeah. you would need to um, in order to like truly create that like live chat feel. Maybe you view one of the presentations in class and you have like a big piece of like butcher block paper and everybody's writing their comments as they're listening to the talk. And that really, really um, kind of flows nicely into step five, which is determine how to model the concept, which you had mentioned earlier, and any related technology in your classroom. If this is the first time students are using whatever tool it is that you're going with, they're going probably to need a, a small tutorial in how to actually do it. Yeah, it's completely true. I mean, in learning about the software ourselves from, from behind the scenes, we've mm -hmm. needed a little bit of support as well. And it's something that we can't expect our students know just right offhand. So in providing that modeling and giving students a chance to really uh, become masters at whatever it is, maybe it's using the graphics, maybe it's recording a video, um, providing appropriate comments, giving kids mm -hmm. a chance to try that in their classroom yeah. setting is huge. Right. And even though I think we all assume that students today are really tech savvy, that doesn't necessarily mean they're tech savvy with this thing that they've never done before. Yeah. They might go home and they might watch YouTube videos, but that doesn't mean that they have the ability to then go and just create one and right. to go into iMovie and to make some minor edits or how do you have picture in picture or whatever it is that they, they think they could do or you think they can do really kind of delve in. I've outside of this particular topic. I know even when I use pieces of technology for my classroom outside of this concept of a virtual summit, like students have to have a turnitin.com account for my class. It's required. I know from experience that telling students to go home and sign up for an account, it's not going to work. No. I need to work them through the steps in how to enroll themselves in the program. I show them how to upload a paper to it. All of these things that you could theoretically just follow the steps that are posted online. But or even I know, a tutorial video. But you know right, students aren't going to watch it. I have the it, same experience in my room. Exactly. Um, so just make sure that you plan for even those small things, like getting an account for Google Classroom if they don't already have one, if it's towards the beginning of the year or you're only using Google Classroom for this particular purpose. Things like right. that, I think, are really important. And that's one of the things that we, we did talk about way back in episode three, where if you don't troubleshoot that problem from the very beginning, suddenly the day before it's due you get lots and lots of emails. But yeah. wait, I thought, yeah, I thought I understood this and I just don't. Exactly. <laughs> yes. And speaking of uh, mm -hmm. step number six, which we're, we're excited about 
yes. is getting students hyped up for this event. Mm-hmm. We want them to be as excited about it as we are, or at least as excited about a project as they can be. Yeah. And in doing so, being able to effectively explain what it is that is happening, what it is that they need to do, giving that visual representation is huge, gives them the tools to talk about it the right way. And I'm picturing how I'm going to use this this year, Mm -hmm. and I'm absolutely going to include the other high school Spanish classes in my school. Nice. And in getting students hyped, it's all about how to talk about what they'll be talking about and giving them yep. the role that they'll need that they that they will be playing or the job that they've done or even the talk that they'll be giving mm-hmm. and really making sure that these titles are explicit and understandable and really clear on a bulletin board or in a planner or in a presentation that I give so yeah. students know first of all what is needed of them how to communicate it to others which I think is almost half the battle right right and then really putting in that extra effort just in seeing how excited they are and and giving them the tools to just really make this happen. Yeah, I think that one thing that a lot of people don't do is they skip this step and they just they're like, well, you have to do it. It's a yeah. project. And therefore, right. um, and I think that a lot of students are resistant because they just don't want to spend their time doing that project. And a little bit of time to get your students on board with it goes a long way. And we can't tell you exactly what is going to motivate your students. That's something that you would only know from being with your students. In fact, Mm -hmm. exactly how you can get that group on board might be something that changes your year. Yeah. Um, And one thing that I know we've spoken about before, Danielle, which just always Mm -hmm. cracks me up is whenever I talk to my high school students about their career goals, you always get an array of answers and I get Mm -hmm. a lot of professional athletes. Um, I've gotten, you know, some related to the medical field and then I get a lot of YouTube stars. Yes. So, yes. and I know that even trickles down to the middle school. I mean, kids really, this is a very common response and I feel like what a great way. Hey, that's your, that's your point of view. And I'm, I'm not going to make a comment on, on right. that career choice. That's great. But it's more about how can you really hone in on what, ki- what, excites kids what sparks kids interest yes. and run with it and this is and- such a great chance so we've touched on like we're like we've talked about nine almost nine steps so far so first step yep. again pick a unit that makes sense to mm-hmm. host as a virtual summit and you as yep. a teacher you know what works best for your kids and that's a decision only you can truly make second is select what students will be responsible for in terms of creating the virtual summit yep step three craft a corresponding rubric that really demonstrates what requirements must be met. Mm-hmm. Number four is decide on what technology you need to use to make this happen. Number five, determine how to model the concept and any related technology in your room. So essential. And number six, get students hyped up. Yes. Which leads us to step number seven. Decide what students will need extra support um, in order to create this virtual summit and select much class time to devote to that. Mm -hmm. So we've spoken in our last episode about flipped classroom styles and how this may work in certain environments depending on your class schedule. And in others, this may be something that you want to do after hours, so to speak. Um, But understanding what it is that's required for 
from the student angle and from the teacher is really, really important. Yeah. So if you are thinking about, okay, now that I have the students, they're, they bought in, we're, we're ready to go. You don't want to derail yourself by not anticipating what the students are going to need that extra time for and giving them class time in order to actually do it. I think that the, after you've gone over how to appropriately give feedback to their peers, maybe viewing the presentations is something that they can do at home for homework, things like that. And maybe they can do a little bit more of the actual planning, creating in, in the classroom. And that brings us to step number eight, how can the summit live on or be shared with others? Because students are putting a whole lot of time and energy yeah. into this. I'm excited to, sh- to talk about this with my parents and my administration. And in having visuals mm-hmm. around my room, I think will be a really great way to demonstrate that because it can be a little bit time consuming to go through all the, <laughs> all the pieces of who's right. doing what, who's responsible right. for what. So giving um, nice visuals around your room, uh, maybe sending a, a class-wide mm-hmm. email to your parents if you're working with that population of um, students, you know, they just have that one class, however you'd like to do that. Um, but giving everyone a chance to buy into it. And I've said a couple of times now how I want mm-hmm. to include my other Spanish one and two students in my school. And I'm 100% going to yeah. go for that because why not share what these kids are working on? Why not? On? Yeah. And I bet the students are going to put just a little bit extra time and a little bit extra energy into it because they, they know it is leaving this room. Yeah. It kind of like ups the stakes a little bit, which I really like. And if you are thinking about how can I make this um, a project that can be shared with others, again, we want to encourage you to grab our bulletin board print because then you can go ahead and have something more or less ready-made. And then once those presentations are there, you can create a little QR code maybe. So that way, all somebody has to do is take out their phone and be able to view the presentation. So that way, when parents come in for uh, their back-to-school night, for a parent-teacher conference, something like that, they see this amazing bulletin board, they see their kids, and they go over there and they're like, wait, she was working on (laughs) that? That's what she created? That And it's they're just blown away because we know that that's the level of time and effort that is needed in order to really pull this off. Last up is reflection, which is something that I think Mm -hmm. we're as great teachers always doing and giving your class an opportunity to do this as a group and independently will help this go even further beyond what that one virtual summit day or days looks like. Yeah. Um, If you grab our freebie from way back in episode three, that's still in our free resource library. um, There's actually an entire section for reflecting and what you can do in order to make this smoother next time you do it, whether that's next marking period or that's next year. What is it that went really well? What is it that you need to, you need to tweak, you need to iterate before you roll it out again. And it'll just make the experience that much better each and every time. Perfect. Well, this has been an epic tutorial. (laughs) (laughs) Or at least we hope so. I hope so. I mean, really, this was Nine fantastic steps that were very, I think, actionable, and you can implement this, I feel, with whatever topic you, as the classroom leader, decide works best for your students. And, I mean, we gave you the why 
here's the how. We really hope that you make this work and we'd love to hear from you. So definitely reach out to us on social, via email. Everything.com is the place to be. And we want to know how you make your virtual summit happen in your classroom. Maybe you can even brag about it when you join us this weekend for our actual virtual summit in our private Facebook group where we hope to get to know you. Danielle, as always, it's been a pleasure. And the countdown is real, my friend. It is. I will see you very, very soon. (laughs) All right. Bye. If you'd like to learn more about us and the services that we offer, head to everything.com.